too. All right, let me uh, mash all the right buttons here. All right, we're going to be in Genesis 47. Genesis 47. It's interesting the different feelings that I have preaching from this passage. I've been preaching it since I was in my 20s, and it feels different preaching it in my 50s, I, I have to admit. Now, this is in the story of Joseph, and um, Joseph has been through all the things that he went through, jealous brothers, and they had him thrown in a pit after didn't like him, and very envious of him, had him thrown in a pit and sold him, and he ends up down in Egypt, and does well for a while, then gets falsely accused, and goes to incarceration, I guess you would say, and yet the Lord is with him even there. And that reminds me to say this, there may be some times in your life that you go through a big loss. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you'll get into. It may be jail time. It may be jail time for a false accusation. If you trust the Lord as your Savior, and if you stay in fellowship with Him, He will be with you even there. Amen. So don't, uh, don't give up. I remember when I was learning to drive, Daddy used to say, now, Bob, you know, once in a while, you might get off the road a little bit, you know, and you might get scared. And sometimes, you know, young people, when they first get off the road, they just go, ah, and they get scared and they take their hand. He said, you hold on to that steering wheel and you still limit the damage. <laughs> you know, don't just run right into a tree or something. You still, you know, the best you can, do the best you can, even, even if you are plumb off the road. And you might feel like you're plumb off the road. Um, the Lord stay with you even then. And uh, Joseph gets in some bad places here. And so, finally, um, a big famine hits. And you know the story of how everybody's starving to death. And Jacob and the family don't know what they're going to do. And they heard that there's food in Egypt. And little did they know, the reason there's food in Egypt is because God blessing Joseph there. Amen. So they go to Egypt thinking they're going to find food. And thank God they found God in Joseph when they got there. And when they get up there, Pharaoh, because of what a blessing Joseph has been to his kingdom, wants to meet his family. And this is the story of when the daddy of Joseph finally meets Pharaoh. Look at Genesis 47, verse 7. And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are in hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years, uh, few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. I want to preach tonight, Pharaoh and Jacob. Dear Lord, I pray that you come down and give us some wisdom about these things, Lord, and I pray for Everybody, under the sound of my voice and all the good uh, lessons that can be learned, I will admit I do think of the young men especially, Lord, that they would uh, avoid some of the mistakes that Jacob made, even as, a, even as somebody that did value spiritual things. Lord, he sure uh, kept, his, uh, he kept his schemes going too much and had way, way too many worries. And I 
pray, dear Lord, that all of us would avoid that, especially the young men. I pray, Lord, you give us some things to help us be wise and that we would consider our latter end. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, I want to say tonight that Jacob's estimation of his life requires investigation. Um, Jacob has been tremendously blessed. He's very wealthy. He has a large family. And when everybody in the world is starving, his family is saved. And yet, when they ask him, uh, how old are you? And he said, well, 130 years. And that's longer than most people live. Amen. He said, few and evil. Have been the days of the year have the days of the years of my life been? Now think for a minute before we talk more about that, what a scene this is. Here is the monarch of probably the greatest kingdom on earth, Pharaoh, certainly in the top two or three. And he's meeting with his prime minister, Joseph, who is the reason for the power of their country in this terrible famine. And he's the greatest type of Christ in the Bible, probably. Yes. And uh, one of the most righteous characters in history. And they're meeting with the father of Joseph, who is the patriarch Jacob, whose other name is Israel, the name of God's chosen people on this earth. I mean, this is a big meeting. This is a historical event that I don't know how to... Describe completely. Um, now, Jacob is one of those paradoxical characters that develops one way double mindedness. Now, there is a great danger of you Bible believers being double minded. Amen. You are here and you hear the Word of God preached, and at your house, you read the Word of God, and around your family and friends, you talk about the Word of God. And you're saved, and you got the Holy Spirit in you. You got all kind of real good influences that have your mind thinking exactly right. But on the other hand, you watch some Disney, and you watch some YouTube, and you watch some worldly news, and you watch some worldly entertainment, you listen to some filthy music, if you listen to the, any music of today, and you hang around some people with some rough language, and you hang. And you get double-minded that way. Here you have the Bible teaching one way, and you have the world teaching diametrically opposed, and you're forevermore trying to get the two together, and it makes you crazy. That's true. We got men, and the Lord made them a certain way. And they know that they're supposed to be providers and protectors. And he put that in us. And he knows that we're supposed to be leaders. And yet we live in a world that says, well, we don't need men to be that way anymore. That was from an old day. And so the men on the one hand know they're supposed to be this one way. On the other hand, they have everything in our society pulling them the opposite way. And it's made them nuts. We got women. You know what they're told? You're supposed to be independent. You're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to suppress your emotions so you can be a CEO just like the men are so you can go as crazy as they are. Why in the world that makes any sense to anybody? I don't know. But that's what they tell them. But then on the other hand, they have these constant feminine reminders that ever since they're girls, they like unicorns and um, sparkle and 
pretty little things and have a soft heart for animals and children. <laughs> and they got two opposing things pulling them opposite directions and it makes you nuts. <laughs> You'd be a whole lot better if you pick one and go with it. <laughs> if you picked the wrong one, you'd come out better than trying to be double-minded sometimes. <laughs> and Jacob does that. And Jacob knows that the spiritual things are true and the spiritual things are right, but he does not have the discipline to live that way. He's afraid he might miss out. So instead of trusting God for those spiritual things, you know what he does? He tries to scheme and plan and manipulate and figure out a way to sneak and get it for himself while knowing it's good and right and important to be spiritual but doesn't have the discipline to just trust God to bring it to him. And he just made the poor guy miserable and crazy his whole life. And because he was deceitful that way, people got deceitful with him. And if you are deceitful with people, and if you're manipulative, and if you're passive-aggressive, you don't just come right out and tell them where you stand and what you're doing, they'll start getting that way with you. And then you'll have a life like poor old Jacob, and I can't help but feel sorry for the guy. So... He has spiritual blessings, but too carnal to consistently live that way. His lifelong ebb and flow of ups and downs had more ups, uh, more downs than necessary. And even at this late juncture, he points out well, he doesn't get as many years as his father's. <laughs> and uh, what in the world can we learn from this short interview? So we'll look at, uh, we'll look at Jacob's answer here. Now, look at the question asked here, first of all, verse 8. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And this is a common question. And it's a good question because it's hard to tell. I mean, there are some people, buddy, they're in good health, and they're doing good, and they're happy, and they're fulfilled, and they look way younger than their years. And there are other people, bless their hearts, <laughs> They've apparently had a lot of mileage on the old vehicle because, buddy, they look a lot older than they are. And so this is a very common question. Now, in the Old Testament especially, um, they had a lot of years compared to what we get, didn't they? Deuteronomy 34, verse 7, And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. And it's not all because of an easy life. Mo Here's Moses with his eye not dim, his natural force not abated at 120 years old. And he had a hard time. He's out in that wilderness a lot. And he had people worrying him a lot. He's ready to kill himself <laughs> over at a time or two. So it's not that you always need a smooth road. Sometimes the hardships is what keeps you going. It's what keeps you motivated. To some degree, and I hate to say it, keeps you young. <laughs> That's right. You didn't have some problems and some worries to deal with, and you just sat on the couch, you'd be surprised how, how quick you'll clam up and die. So here he, here's Moses at 120 years old. All right, now let's look at Joshua 14. Joshua 14, verse 10. Now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And lo, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. 
As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now for the war, both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. You get 85 years old, if the Lord's still with you, you can do what you need to do. And uh, don't worry about that at all. Moses was 80 years old, and the Lord finally called him to do his work. Isn't that a blessing? Sometimes it just takes those years of trial to get you ready for the great work that you're going to do that everybody will remember. Wow. And somebody feels like, oh man, I'm over the hill because I'm 30. They're, they're, they're not thinking like God thinks, I assure you. So it's a common question because it's hard to tell. Psalm 90, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. If by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. You know what you need to do? You need to just live for God. Just start obeying and staying faithful at it. You won't do it perfectly. Obviously, nobody's saying that you'll do it perfectly. There's no danger of anybody doing it perfectly. But the best you can, obey God and stay faithful at it, even as the years pass, and you'd be surprised how God will show up and empower you. I did not say you'll have success in everything you're trying to do. But I will say God will show up and empower you. I will give you that. Psalm 55 says, But thou, O God, shalt bring them down into the pit of destruction, Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in thee. Uh, another reason you can't tell is uh, you can't tell what's going on inside of somebody. Proverbs 17.22 says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. You say, okay, well then happy people uh, stay healthier. Well, that's true, but you can't tell on the outside whether they're happy or not. Some of the happiest people I've known are some of the grumpiest people I've known outwardly. <laughs> Have you ever read any of Dr. Ruckman's books? He, he did not come across as happy-pappy all the time. <laughs> but buddy, he was fulfilled and had the power of God on him and lived to be in his 90s and was preaching on street corners in his 90s with a Bible in one hand and a cane in the other. Just because somebody's grumpy doesn't mean they're unhappy. It just looks that way to you. It doesn't say a merry outward countenance doeth good like a medicine. It says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Amen. <laughs> you can be happy in your heart and telling the truth. And let me tell you about the truth. It often comes across grumpy. <laughs> I'm not, now, wait a minute. I'm not trying to justify any badness that's being mean for no reason. Sometimes we need to be honest. Honesty is most often negative. A lot of times people say, I need positive influences in my life. Then you're saying you need deceitful influences in your life. Truth is mostly negative when it comes to human beings. Now, when it comes to God, it's all positive. So, so be careful about positive. The devil, very positive. Yea, hath God said... <laughs> First words out of his mouth was, yes. Nobody had asked him a question. What do you think of somebody coming up and nodding and saying yes to you when you hadn't even asked them a question? They're trying to portray positivity. <laughs> oh, you better look out for that. You better look out for that. 
Now, a third of your life should be positive, okay? You don't want somebody that's all negative. But you do want somebody who's mostly negative. You know why? Because the Bible is mostly negative when it comes to human beings. So be careful about these things. But a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. All right, uh, I'll tell you something else. It's an interesting question. Isn't that interesting to you to see somebody that's lived a long time and hear the stories that they tell? You all know that we recently lost my Aunt Libby at 103, and her mother, Mama Robinette, lived to be 102, and I was blessed to hear their stories many times growing up. They had a very interesting perspective, um, having lived through the things that they lived through. Somebody said, the wonder is not that we die, but that we live. <laughs> Some people say, well, why did God make it where we have to die? And when you consider uh, how complex the human body is and how complex nature is and how messed up our world is, it's a, it's a miracle that we still live. Uh, people thought when they dropped the atomic bomb on Nagasaki and Hiroshima back in World War II, they thought, well, surely by now we would have bombed ourselves out of existence. You know what? God isn't allowing that to happen. Furthermore, when the plagues of Revelation occur, it ain't going to wipe us completely out. But, buddy, it's going to put a dent in us, isn't it? <laughs> oh, me. Psalm 139 says this. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. You study heart and circulation. You study lungs and respiration. You study the brain. I mean, we'll never get to the end of the brain. And the nervous system, the bones and the muscles, the eyeball and the intricacies of how that thing works. It's unreal what God has put in us. Amen. It's an interesting question, but I'll tell you something else. It's a solemn, momentous question. If you've lived a long time, even if you're just middle age, you have had responsibilities. Did you meet them? You've had mercies. Did you change? God gave you enough. You messed up, and God gave you another chance. Did you change? Some of you look back and remember that as a younger person, good night. You had a terrible personality. Have you, proved, have you improved? You had some bad habits. Did you kick them? Or, or at least, are you fighting them? Uh, let's, let's tell the truth. We've all got some habits we need to quit and have been needing to quit for years. Are we at least fighting them? Get up and fight that flesh. I bet we hadn't beat them all. As a matter of fact, I guarantee we haven't beat them all. I'm sorry to tell you, you'll never will beat them all. But our job isn't to be undefeated. Our job is to keep fighting, isn't it? Mercies have been sent our way. Privileges have been sent our way. Did we do something with them? Opportunities. Great blessings have come our way. Did we thank somebody? I was at a birthday party with a little seven-year-old yesterday with Virginia. And uh, as people were giving the little girl things, uh, her daddy and mama were saying, you know, tell them thank you, tell them thank you. There's some adults need to be reminded, tell them thank you, hey, tell them thank you. Yeah. There's some mamas and daddies, there's some bosses. 
There's some people that's been real good friends to us and they've really taken care of us and us and our family would sure be in a mess without them. We ought to thank them. Have we committed to some constant improvement? We've had some duties. Did we show up for them? The old timers like Robert E. Lee and Bob Jones Sr., they used to talk about duty. And what a noble word duty is. There's something to be said for duty. Yes. We have responsibilities. We need to do our duties. Uh, now, love is above that. Don't get me wrong. I put love above duty, but duty's still pretty good. You can get by on duty sometimes. And if you've had some years behind you, you're getting closer to eternity. Somebody said, Lo, on a narrow neck of land, twixt two unbounded seas, I stand. We're on this little neck of land called time and eternity on both sides of it. And we've got this little window of opportunity, this little narrow neck of land where we can do some things that will make a difference in eternity. So that's the question asked. Now let's look at the answer given. He asked him, how old are you? Verse 9, he says, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are, are 130 years. So he specified as 130 years to us. That's a very extended age. I don't know anybody's lived to be 130, do you? I know some people that's made 100, and people are all time surprised how many of my family members live into their 90s and over 100. But I, I don't know anybody's coming anywhere close to 130. That's, that's a good long, good long life. That's longer than Moses, longer than Joshua. I think that was Caleb we read about earlier, but uh, Joshua, if I remember correctly, lived 110 years. And yet Jacob calls them few. Now, we'll talk about Jacob's complaint here in just a minute, but I will say this. I don't care who you are. When you get to the end and you look back, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Even, even at my stage of life, I've looked back many a time and been selling lumber to somebody and realized, oh, wait a minute. I remember when that kid was 10 years old coming in here with his daddy buying lumber. Now he's grown and got his own business. And it doesn't seem that long ago. And yet there he stands, grown, right now. Goodness. We see that in church all the time. What a blessed thing that is to see somebody that you remember as a child, and now they're grown and still serving God. It's a blessing. It seems real short in retrospect. What is thy life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time. Vanisheth away. Isaac lived 180 years. Abraham lived 175 years. Terah, 205. Before the flood, many lived eight or 900 years. I guess I can see why he said it's not attained unto the years of my fathers. He probably knew about these things. <laughs> but not only does he say that these years were evil, I mean, short, he says they were evil. Now, he's in a time of trying for reunion. People are dying all over the world. He shows back up. His whole family is going to be saved, and yet he's still saying they're evil. Now, I know, I know why Jacob would say that, because he's brought a lot of heartache and worry on himself for his constant scheming and deceiving. Young people, it is better to just be honest Amen. and make somebody mad than to sneak and scheme and make things way worse than somebody being mad at you for a few minutes. 
I mean, uh, you ask Jacob about his life, he'd have said, well, I envied my brother Esau, and then I tricked him and had to run for my life while still young, got tricked into a marriage, got cheated by my boss and father-in-law, my whole household has been in a big fight the whole time, my favorite wife that I really did love died prematurely, most of my sons are ungodly, some cruel, so everybody in the, in the area hates us. And now in my old age, we just about starved to death. And I believe for years that my favorite son was dead. And now apparently i got to come here and live my last years and die in the desert in Egypt. But you know, other than that, I'm fine. <laughs> And if you want to, if you want to take that attitude, you can. But uh, number one, he brought most of that on himself. Yes, he did. And uh, number two, he still had the hand of God protection on him when everybody else was starving to death. He got to play with grandkids. Right. So uh, a lot of it's how you look at it. So that's the answer given. Now let's look at the lessons which this suggests. Number one. We should form a true estimate of life. Don't think that your life is going to be, you know, the fun action movie or the romance novel or the hour or two TV show or movie, you know, uh, where all the problems get resolved in a short amount of time. And I'm doing the thing that I've always dreamed of and if I could choose anything else, I wouldn't choose anything else. This, this right here would be my number one choice. I'm right where I want to be. But uh, be realistic about life. Don't have these unrealistic expectations about other people, about money, about lots of things. There are a lot of people sitting looking at electronic screens and getting the wrong idea of what life is really like. Dr. Ruckman used to have a little routine he'd go through on this that always cracked me up. And he'd say, you know, life isn't like one of them movies, you know. Uh, kiss me, kill me, and fight the bad guy, and win the, win the award, and everything, everything work out all fun and happy and exciting, you know. There will be long periods of time where it's just boring, and then long periods of time where it's hard, and then long periods of time where it's good, and then there will just be some of all. So have a, have a realistic estimate of life. Uh, number two, consider whether the great ends of life are accomplished. Number one, are you saved? Amen. Have you trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior? If you're not saved, pretty much nothing else matters. Amen. If at the end you go burn in hell in the lake of fire forever, what in the world else would matter? Number one, make sure you're saved. Number two, make sure you're constantly growing spiritually. I'm not saying, you know, be Charles Spurgeon. I'm not saying be the Apostle Paul. That ought to be, ought to be the goal before you get eventually. But be sure that you're a little bit better than you were the day before. A little bit better than you were six months ago. A little bit better than you were a year ago. Don't worry. You'll still have a long way to go. <laughs> you will not... Think for a moment that you're reaching perfection. But consider whether the great things are accomplished, the big things, salvation and spiritual growth uh, for the good of others. How, how's your family in relation to their relationship with you? How's your church? 
How's your outreach to this world? I know you can't reach everybody, but are you reaching somebody? Are you supporting somebody else that's going to reach somebody? Are you doing the part you can do that facilitates reaching somebody? I'm not saying, don't, don't take all the weight on your shoulders and think everything's got to be perfect in your family or everything's got to be perfect in your church and certainly not that everything's got to be perfect in the world, but are you contributing in the right way? So make sure you're saved and growing. Make sure your relationships are right. But here's the most important one after you're saved. How about your relationship with God? That, that needs to come number one. That needs to be who you talk to first thing in the morning. That needs to be the one that you talk to most often. Love Him. Glorify Him. Thank Him. If you've got your salvation, your spiritual growth, and your relationship to God, your relationship with family and your church, and you're trying to do some outreach into the world, you got all the big things down. Exactly whether or not you're making, you know, $15 an hour or $16.50 is not that big a deal. If you got these big things down, you got things going that billionaires only dream of. Amen and amen. And we've given you example after example. We've given you um, illustration after illustration. Listen, there are, there are whole industries out there that go to these super successful CEOs of companies. And these days it's both men and women. And you know what their whole business is? Coaching these millionaire, and in some cases even billionaire men and women who are successful, they're good looking, they get anything they want in showing them how to have relationships, how to treat their spouse right, how to get along with their children, how to date Hey, listen, man, there are people living in trailers in the hills that have that stuff down. That's true. And these people are millionaires paying thousands of dollars to try to get coached in that stuff and popping pills and miserable. And people in a trailer with a deer they just killed in a deep freeze happier than that. Goodness gracious, folks. Take care of the important stuff first, and money ain't one of them. Amen. Consider the great ends of life and whether or not they're accomplished. Now, I want to ask as you age, since we're talking about elderly people mainly here, are the elderly distinguished by the graces and virtues that should distinguish old age. You know, if you've been on this earth years, you ought to have some knowledge that you didn't have when you was 20. Um, you ought to have some experience that you didn't have when you were 30. You ought to have, and I hate to say this, <laughs> you ought to have developed some patience. Tribulation worketh patience. I often hear older people say, well, now that I'm this age, I don't have the patience for that. That's the opposite of how it should be. <laughs> After what you've been through, you should have developed patience. Tribulation worketh patience, then maybe you've been sitting on the couch too much all those years and ain't been through enough tribulation. I'll guarantee if you see what Americans go through compared to what most people in history have gone through, we hadn't had much tribulation. And I'm afraid it's made us weak. 
uh, self-control. You know, at first we'd fly off the handle. Over the years, we should have mellowed. Over the years, we should have learned some control that we didn't have before. But spiritual mindedness. Over the years, we found out the instant pleasure, the pleasures of sin for a season, they don't pay off long term. So we ought to be much more spiritually minded, realizing those things are permanent, those things are eternal. Uh, we should have developed some charity. And don't misunderstand, I'm not, I'm not going against the clear Bible teaching that everybody's a sinner. But you know, every single thing that you think somebody is doing just to be mean to you and hurt you, over the years, if you've observed it, honestly, you'll have to admit, a lot of it didn't have anything to do with you. It was just a set of circumstances they had going, and they weren't thinking about you at all. I've known of situations in Bible-believing Baptist church where they would have fought all day with you about how true the King James Bible is, and one woman was talking to another woman about a situation that had come up. Another woman heard it, thought they were running her down, and just about split the church, and wasn't even talking about her. It had nothing to do with her. And the family's all mad and the preacher calling me. <laughs> what a mess. Had a total misunderstanding. You know where that comes from? That comes from just sitting there thinking everything's about me. Self-centered. <laughs> Did they speak to me? Did they like me? <laughs> Did they listen? Or are they talking about me? Well, if I see them over there talking, well, they must be talking about me. <laughs> you should be past that as you get up in years. And we all had that, you know, when we were seven. But I hope you don't have it when you're 67. <laughs> um, we ought to be examples to younger people. There's some younger people looking up to some older people. They ought to see, wait a minute. Hey, I don't need to be living this way. I don't know any older people live that way. Counselors to the young. We ought to be able to be available to do so. I'm going to say that old age without piety is a fearful place to be. You're getting towards the end of your race, uh, so to speak. And uh, both in anticipation and influence. Whenever you're getting closer and closer to the Lord, you don't have to fear death. Because you realize you're just getting closer and closer to God the older you get. But whenever you don't know what's going on and you're getting closer and closer to death... You don't know where you go after you die. That's a scary thing. Uh, what, what's going to happen? What happens to me? But maybe you're even, even saved. But you haven't done what you know you should. And you're not seeing the fruit that somebody else at your same age is seeing. And it's frustrating. And it's sad. Consider the bitterness of 60 or 70 years in sin abused or neglected blessings, lost opportunities. Brother Ron, when he's preaching about along these lines, he says the worst thing about growing old is regrets because now it's too late to go back and do anything about them. He had a sermon he preached on uh, a window of opportunity. You better jump in there while that window of opportunity is there. Amen. Because there comes a point it's not there anymore. And number one, if you've never been saved, that's a fearful thing. But number two, if you are saved and haven't lived up to it, you'll regret it as you get older. Start living for God. It's this simple. Start obeying and stay faithful at it. I know you won't do it perfectly, 
But as best you can, start obeying and stay faithful at it. Stay as consistent as you can. And when you do that, 30 years later, you don't have near as many regrets as the other one. But I do want to say this. The aged may be forgiven. Don't ever think it's too late. How old was Harlan Sanders when he got Kentucky Fried Chicken going? Was he not in his 80s? He was pretty old. By the time it, by the time it really took off good, I mean. Now, I mean, I, if I remember correctly, it was like 68 or something when he started it. And by the time it was really, you know, booming, I think he was 80. I, don't, I, I may have my figures a little bit wrong, but he was up there. He was up there. Uh, it is not too late. It is never too late to turn to God. It is never too late to start improving. But I will say this, statistically speaking, it is less likely. So the younger, the better. You know what the youngest possible age you can make a turnaround is? Whatever you're at right now. Unless you've got a time machine and can go back in time and in a way that I don't understand, right now is the youngest you can start doing it. Start doing it now. Decide tonight, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start obeying and I'm going to be as faithful as I can in it. And if you do that, the Lord will forgive you. And the Lord will repent, repent of some things He has planned and he'll give you back the years that the palmer worm hath eaten. So the lessons that this suggests, let's be realistic about life. It is not going to be all great, but neither is it going to be all bad. The optimist says, oh, great, I'm sure everything will happen great for me. Uh, no. The pessimist says, oh, I'm a loser and nothing will ever work out. Hey, listen, there are plenty of people that look at a few characteristics, money, and two or three other things, and think, oh no, I'm a big failure, and they're happier than the person that's made millions. You don't, uh, don't get confused by that. Keep a, keep a realistic view of life. Consider whether the great things are taken care of. Make sure that you're learning graces and virtues as you grow older. Remember that old age with a lot of regret, regrets is a fearful state. And remember that even in old age, you can be forgiven. All right. Today we've discussed Jacob's opinion of his life. If you're a senior citizen, maybe you've identified in some ways with Jacob or seen some things you can still correct or improve on in your life. Let me say this. It is never too late to give it right with God. That dying thief had just a few hours, and he has changed eternity with those few hours. Amen. You don't know what God will do. So you get right with God at whatever stage you're at. But I will say the earlier the better. Even if you're not elderly though, I'm speaking to some young people here, you have had a look ahead. You have done peeked at the back of the book and you see the grief of one who understood that spiritual things were important but would not discipline himself to live spiritually. Don't do that, young person. Don't sit here and listen to King James Bible, King James Bible, King James Bible, and then not go by it. Amen. You'll end up like Jacob. Now, again, I, I probably say this too much. It's probably apologizing too much. Nobody's asking for perfection. Nobody expects perfection. But you know good and well, if you're fighting hard to do what this Bible says or not, 
And when you say, well, I can't do it perfectly, and so you don't even give it a, a good effort, that's not acceptable. And you will fail, and you'll fail, and you'll be sorry, and you'll end up like Jacob. Give it a good try. That's all I'm saying. Give it a good try to obey and stay faithful with it. Jacob didn't. As soon as a situation hit him, he started trying to deceive and manipulate and scheme and do whatever it took to be sure he came out right instead of just obeying and trusting God. But in either case, whether you're old or young, do this. Don't delay a spiritual decision. If God's talking to you, do it today. This, this one's clear. You do not have to worry about, well, now, you know, I don't know if Brother Bob's telling me right or not. Well, when Brother Bob's up here just saying, obey God and stay faithful to Him, I'm pretty sure that's right. Amen. Does anybody have a? Does anybody think that would be a bad idea to obey God and stay faithful? Nope. Of course that's right. You know what? That one you need to take massive action on because there's no question about it. Amen. By the way, that's a good study. You ought to look at just the things that everybody agrees to and just do them. You'd be surprised how that would change your life. There are certain things everybody agrees on. Liberals, conservatives, and everything. Let me give you an example. Is it better to eat fast food or fresh garden vegetables? <laughs> Nobody denies that. That's true. Is it better to be active or waste hours in front of an electronic screen? There, there is no decision. The liberals don't teach that. The conservatives, the anybody in between, there's nobody to. Just take the things that everybody agrees to. You know they're bound to be right. Of course, you and I as Bible believers, we know if the Bible says that it's right. But even if you're not ready to do that, if you'll just do the stuff everybody agrees to, it would greatly improve your life. Because you know what those things are? Those are what we call fundamentals. That was the part the fundamentalists had right. If you will take the fundamentals, the basics, and execute them, a whole lot of the details fall in place. Amen. But if you're younger, the choice is still urgent. Here's why. Because statisticians tell us the older ones very rarely repent. They can they shouldn't think that they can't, but it's way less likely. So if you're young, you better do it now. Because the overwhelming evidence from every study ever done is when you don't change when you're young, it's a lot less likely that you will when you're old. So don't. another reason is when you see that there's something you should do and you refuse to do it, there's a Bible term for that. Hardening your heart. And hard hearts are difficult to change. So it is, it's pretty urgent for you young people, even, even the young ones. But if you put it off, getting right in the future is still possible, but it's a lot less likely. Let's not be 130 years old. If we're blessed with that kind of health, let's not be 130 years old and say, evil have been the days of the years of my life. Let's look back and see God's blessing all the way through. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to read and study your word. Lord, 